Today, recording part two of the Morehouse Murders. If you haven't listened to part one, go do that. You're probably going to want to hear part one on this one before you hear part two. Or you can just start from the middle. I don't know. It depends. I would start from the beginning, but you can go ahead and jump right in if you want. (laughs) I don't recommend it, though. Okay, so where we left off last was Kate escaping out the window. And spoiler alert, if you haven't listened to the first one, you don't want to hear our little recap right now on it. So. Yeah, exit out now. Exit out now. Yeah. Okay. So we left off where David and Catherine's fourth victim had just jumped out of the window and taken off. So Kate ran to the house directly opposite and knocked on the door, but there was no answer. It was the middle of the day in a working class suburb, so everybody's probably at work. She went to the next house, again, no answer. Then the next house, no answer. So she went to their back fence because she knew she needed to get out of sight of the Moore house in case Catherine came looking for her. Yeah, so she hurdles their fence. Gets attacked by the resident's black dog. Cool. She kicked the dog away and kept running. So, yeah, she's absolutely hysterical at this point. Like, she hit her head really hard. She got attacked by a dog. Yeah, she got attacked by a dog. Who knows what clothing she's wearing right now? I would assume very limited clothing, if I had to guess. She was barefoot in black leggings and a black singlet. Okay. She's got some clothes on, but still barefoot. Yeah. Now, across the road from the third house, she saw... Electrolux vacuum cleaner store, and there was a man in a suit standing outside. She ran up to him and said, I've been raped. Please take me inside and call the police. The man complied and took her into the store. She still wasn't sure if Catherine had noticed that she was gone yet and was on her way to come and find her, so she's just panicked. She said, If a woman comes here and says that I'm her daughter, don't believe her. I've been raped by a couple. Can you please call the police? Now, police come and pick Kate up and they take her to the police station. She was interviewed by the only woman on duty that day, which is Constable Laura Hancock. Laura was only 22 years old at the time and had never taken a statement outside of the academy. So she's the one doing this interview because she's a female, but she's very underqualified for it. Yeah. Laura was there purely by chance that day, She was sent there because the police station was short-staffed, so it's not even where she worked. So Kate was very clear and matter-of-fact with police. She was focused on communicating what had happened as effectively as possible so the police didn't waste time with her. She wanted them to go after and capture the Bernies right away. Laura says that Kate wasn't terribly emotional, not looking for sympathy or support. The problem became, though that the police didn't believe her. They said that her story was so extraordinary that it was almost unbelievable. Laura was briefed that Kate's story was bizarre and didn't really ring true to the senior members of the team, and Laura was told to 
stitch her up for a false report. Now, to Laura, Kate appeared to ooze honesty. She actually believed her right away. She began to periodically leave the interview room to plead Kate's case to her supervisors. Kate spoke of the abundance of evidence that she had left around the house in Morehouse Street. Kate says, You know you are going to die, but you don't acknowledge that to yourself. You don't live it. So instead, I just left evidence everywhere so that when I died, people would work out I was one of the missing girls and that they were the culprits. So my parents would know that I hadn't run away from home and that I was dead. She said she had hid her lipstick in a beanbag. And she had even hidden her license behind a roof tile in the ceiling by standing on the back of the couch when they both left the room. So Paul Ferguson and Vince Katish were following up on Denise's disappearance and heard over the two-way radio of Kate's report. And of course, they're like, maybe this is connected. Yeah. So Kate knew the Bernies had given her a fake name, Margaret and John, but had seen written on the bottle of sleeping pills the name David Bernie. Smart girl. This information perked up the ears of Laura's supervisor. David was well known to the police, and suddenly the story didn't seem improbable. Now they might think they believe her. Well, it's it, them not believing her definitely goes along with the time. You know, like, it is in the 80s, and it is, like, a time where you trusted other people a lot more. So, the fact that she's coming and saying, a couple did this, a couple did this, a married couple, a suburban couple did this to me. Well, yeah, and that kind of team was probably relatively unheard of. Yeah, at the time, especially. At the time, yeah. So, I would, that, it makes sense to me. Meanwhile... Catherine called David at work and told him of Kate's escape. He said to the receptionist, Karen, look, I've got to go home because the dogs have got out. I won't be long. He told Catherine to get rid of any evidence of Kate and was back at work not half an hour later, as if nothing had happened. Police get a warrant to search Morehouse Street. Kate is able to lead police straight to the Bernie's home, but no one is home. The dogs are inside, so police decide to stake out the house and wait for the Bernies to return. Later that afternoon, Catherine returns home. The police told her that they were making inquiries about Kate, but she denied any knowledge of who she was or what had happened. Police reported that Catherine appeared to be on something. Or she's just nervous as fucking shit. Yeah, exactly. And panicking. Yeah. Police also said that she was snarly and snappy as they entered the house. Well, she's probably snarly and snappy because she thinks that they've gotten everything out of the house. Mm -hmm. I'm sure she thinks that there's no incriminating evidence at all anywhere. Well, and it was clear that she had burnt something in the house before the police arrived. Now, while this is happening, Kate sat outside in a police car while they searched. I don't think I could be there. No. Laura realized just how accurate Kate had been in her account. Kate had told the police which movie was in the machine, which, remember, was Rambo, that sleeping tablets were under the mattress. 
Police were also able to recover the lipstick from the beanbag and the license from behind the roof panel. So Catherine was arrested and officers were sent to pick up David at his work. David was calm when he was arrested. He knew the evidence was gone. Or so he thought. So he thought. Mm -hmm. He was not aware of what Kate had managed to hide. But this was still circumstantial at best. Yeah, because it, it would be David and Catherine's word against Kate's at this point. And police knew that, too. They knew that they needed a confession. So, yeah, but for me personally, her hiding all that shit around. Well, right, but she could have just been there hanging out. She f- could have hitched a ride from them. She could have gone home with them. Like, evidence of her being in the house doesn't prove yeah, I anything. Guess. Once police arrived back at the station from Morehouse Street with Catherine, Laura was emotional and angry, but she tried to keep that under wraps. And she said... It took every ounce of control that she had. Interviews were to be conducted separately in two teams, one for David and one for Catherine. Of course you have to interview them separately. So detectives getting nowhere with either of the Bernies, Paul and Vince, were to tackle David. They first built up a rapport, gave him cigarettes, idled chit-chat. David admitted that Kate had been in the house. He explained that she hitchhiked and she wanted to buy some cannabis or something. And he acknowledged that they had consensual sex. Mm -hmm. Always consensual sex. But see, this is where a trial, it could become a problem, right? So sticking as close to the truth as possible, but just changing those details, he explained away all of the circumstantial evidence that they had, basically. Because they knew that they there was sex involved. They knew that she had been there. They knew that they'd all gotten high. To police, this was a frustratingly plausible story. And to me, it doesn't seem like a plausible story. But I have to remember that I already know there's other victims yeah. where police don't have that knowledge yet. So here's the thing. Catherine's story conflicted. Right. She denied that Kate had ever been in the house, maintaining that she didn't know her at all. Unaware of what Catherine had said, David stuck to his story. So that's kind of damning right there that they're telling two different stories. Yeah. So hours into the interrogation, Paul decides that he needs to change tactics. He's had a hunch that this man knows something about Denise and starts asking him about her. David didn't give him anything. It was Vince's turn to try a new tactic. He guessed that if the Bernies had taken Denise and Kate, they'd probably taken others, probably killed them, and certainly disposed of them. They had no solid evidence to prove this, but Vince took the punt and sprang a question. David, let's get a shovel and go dig some shallow graves and get this done with. Which David gave a bit of a tremble and said, Vince, there's four. So he just confessed to killing. Yeah, because he assumed that if Vince knew that they needed a shovel to go get the bodies, that he knew they had gone out and buried them. Probably assumed that Catherine had said said something. Oh, so Kate's their fifth, fifth victim. We messed up. Okay, sorry, everyone. We messed up in the beginning. Kate is actually the fifth victim, not the the fourth. Yep. Our bad. So wherever you heard that, wipe that out of your head. She's the fifth victim. She's the fifth one. Yeah. 
Anyway, he asks, who are they? David named all four girls. Yeah, so we had Mary Frances Nielsen. We had Susanna Candy, Nolene Patterson, and Denise Karen Brown. Now, this confession still wasn't enough to ensure a conviction should they go to court. They needed solid evidence. I feel like that'd probably be enough here. (laughs) They needed at least one body to guarantee a conviction. So he asked, where are they? And David replied that three were at Glen Eagle and that one was at Nagara. Now, David's confession infuriated Catherine. The police had nothing solid and he had given them up. And as they passed in the station corridor, she called him a weak bastard. So David was put in a lead car and Catherine was put in the next car and they made their way to Nagara. It was night at this point. Right, so it's dark. I don't know why they didn't wait till... They were probably worried that he was going to change his mind. In the dark, with the pine plantations on either side of the limestone track, David directed them straight to Denise's body. David said to police that she was the most recent victim, so he thought that she'd be the easiest to find. When they got back in their respected vehicles, David directed police to Glen Eagle, where he took them to Mary and Susanna. Each grave was shallow and neat. In the dark, David was able to lead police straight to them. He was even able to tell the police the positioning of the bodies. Yeah. Which girl was buried face up or face down or... Yeah, and then Catherine said, I'll take you to where the bitch is. And Catherine led them to Nolene. Where Catherine spat on her grave. Are you fucking kidding me? I think that Nolene created a rift in them that was going to ruin them regardless of what happened. So she was very proud to show police Nolene, the girl that she had killed. Right. And I think that was just to spite him probably at this point. Now, the bodies couldn't be exhumed until the next day, and a single police officer was left with each body until morning. Jesus, fuck. That would be not so fun of a job, I've got to say. On Tuesday, November 11, 1986, which is Remembrance Day, by the way, at approximately 5 a.m., Kate's dad came into her bedroom and said they've dug up four bodies. Later that evening, David's first wife, Carrie, found out about the Bernie's crimes on the evening news. Can oh my God. you even imagine? Imagine you're sitting watching the evening news and your fucking ex-husband, your daughter's father, father on, TV on TV for murdering people. That happened to me, except for he was on TV for like a medical interview on uh, biochemistry or something, like some sort of thing, so... Um, but I was like, I was like, what the fuck? I have friends who were watching America's Most Wanted. Oh, yeah. Uh And saw one of their family members who had been like, they hadn't been in contact with forever. And he was on America's Most Wanted. I cannot even imagine. Like, I can't even imagine watching something like that and seeing someone you know. No. Now, on Tuesday, March 3, 1987, both Catherine and David were sentenced by the Supreme Court of Western Australia to four consecutive life sentences with recommendations to never be released. Yeah, and in 1984, the death penalty had been abolished in Australia. So life sentences, death penalty wasn't on the table for them. Right. Now, four bodies were enough to convict the Bernies for life, so police felt that they had enough to go on. 
but police believed that there were more victims. Now, Catherine's sentence was set to be completed in Bandiap Woman's Prison, where she runs the prison library, by the way. Catherine enjoys the notoriety of her and David's crimes and even likes to write to other women killers. What in the fuck is wrong with this woman? She wrote to Mira Hindley, who is one of the murderers in the Moores murders in Manchester, England, and uh, Eileen Carol Warnos, who was an American serial killer, actually. Now, we don't know if anybody actually replied to her letters, but now David's sentence was to be carried out in Fermantle Prison, and it quickly became clear, rather due to his stature or the nature of his crimes, that he was a target for violence in the prison. And he had to be separated from other prisoners. It's funny that she's like the librarian and enjoying the notoriety of what she did. And he's like getting probably beat to shit on a regular basis. Yeah. And now the unused death row cells of the prison were repurposed for David. Two of the cells were knocked through to make space. And you can still visit this cell today, by the way, when you go on tours of the prison. That's crazy. I want to go on tour at this prison. God, we're going to have to spend so much time in Australia. Now, on November 8, 1991, Fremantle Prison was closed. This prison was actually built for convicts by convicts during colonization. In 1983, three years before the Moore's murder, there was a royal commission to look at the prison and make recommendations. This was spurred by a few prison riots and concerns about the conditions within the prison. The Royal Commission recommended that the prison be closed, and on November 8, 1991, it was decommissioned. Its prisoners were transferred to Casuarina Prison, which opened on the 9th of June, 1991. David was one of the prisoners transferred out of town to the new facility. So on Friday, October 7th, and we are in 2005, by the way, so in Casuarine Prison, after 19 years of being behind bars, David Bernie committed suicide by hanging. He used a length of cord tied to the air vent in his cell. It had been suggested that he showed signs of depression and had been caught the day before with a stash of pornography videos, which was swiftly confiscated. Yeah, I'm assuming he just felt like he couldn't live without them. I don't know. And then we have other possible victims that might be linked to the couple. So on Thursday, October 9 of 1980, six years before the first Morehouse murder, Lisa Marie Mott, who was 12 years old, went missing in a small country town of Coley. Now, Coley is a coal mining town about 213 kilometers or 132 miles south of Perth. So this is quite a ways from where David has done any hunting or killing. It is the belief among some people in Perth, including some in law enforcement, that this disappearance was an early crime committed by David. This was some years before teaming up with Catherine again, and Lisa was reportedly last seen getting into a yellow panel van. Years later, an anonymous caller tipped off police suggesting that Bernie owned a similar car and worked in the area at the time. Mm. At 3 Morehouse Street, in the yard, there was a rusted-out panel van. 
This is circumstantial at best, and there were common vehicles in the 80s all over the place like this. But Carrie, his first wife, when interviewed by police in relation to Lisa's disappearance, gives David an alibi for that day. She said that he was in the garage at home all day and not at work. Is that an alibi? I don't know. Mm, A bad one. A bad one. In October of 1985, one year before the Morehouse murders, there was also Audrey Schofield, a receptionist at a small real estate agency who claims to be the stalking victim of David Burney. She says that a man who she has identified as David Burney came into the real estate agency office requesting to see a property. He also requested that it be Audrey that joined him for the viewing. She couldn't leave the office as the receptionist, but that didn't seem to dissuade the man. He would wait in the laneway on the side of the real estate office to make sure that she was on her own before he would come in. Audrey told her husband about the man's odd behavior, and her husband came to work with her one day and waited in the office out of sight until the man came in. Her husband introduced himself to David when he came in, and David seemed startled to see Audrey's husband, and this seemed to scare him off. Now, they are unable to really cooperate this, so it is not attributed to David Burney formally, but this was the year before the crime spree and seven months into Catherine and David's renewed relationship. But some find it difficult to believe that Mary was their first victim together. Who knows? Who knows if he hadn't killed who he killed before, even if she had been involved in something? Like, you don't know. Yeah, I feel like it's definitely a possibility that he was murdering people before he got back together with Catherine and early on in their relationship. And especially stalking people. Oh, I'm sure he stalked a ton of people. Exactly. So Sunday, May 25th, 1986, so six months before any of the murders, 33-year-old single mother of two, Cheryl Renwick, went missing. Her daughter, Michelle, who was only 14 at the time, remembers the events that led up to her mother's disappearance. A couple of months before she disappeared, she told her daughter that a couple had been following her in their car. Mm -hmm. And she didn't know why. They would often follow her home from work. And then they began ringing her at home. Her mom moved the family, but they knew where she worked, so they quickly found her. One evening... While her mother was out, Michelle saw the couple's car pulling up outside of their new house, engine still running. It was a hot night in Perth, and Michelle had the front door open to cool down the house from the day. Don't ever leave your front door open. Michelle froze in fear as a woman got out of the car and walked up to the house and through the door. The woman was a smaller lady wearing glasses and a scarf. The woman saw Michelle and said nothing, but immediately left the same way she had come. A friend also remembers seeing a woman, fitting Catherine's description, leaving the house on another occasion. Cheryl's car was found at Perth's airport shortly after she was reported missing. But something was off about how the car was left. The normally spotless, clean car had sand covering the footwell of the driver's seat. Almost like he buried a body. Mm -hmm. The Renwick family... We're not beach people, but Perth is built on sand dunes. So anywhere you might look to bury a body in Perth would have sandy soil. Now, on Friday, June 27, 1986, just five months before the Morehouse murder started, mother of two, Barbara Weston, went missing. 
She was last seen at Irene's Bar and Bistro, which is now called Franklin's Bar and Bistro, which actually has like an old shipping container attached to the bar, which is still there, which is kind of crazy. Right. And a lot of locals find this place very creepy and sad. In March of 1991, five years after the Bernies were captured, after being missing for years, there was a breakthrough in Barbara's case. At Karagolan, which is 33 kilometers or 21 miles east of Perth, kind of on the way to Glen Eagle, a skull was discovered along with two other human bones. The bones were confirmed to be Barbara's. Now, this case is often suggested to be linked to the Bernies, as Barbara's killer removed her jewelry and other items and placed them beside the body, just like the Bernies did with Mary, Susanna, Nolene and Denise. Which is an odd thing, I feel like, because if you're going to take jewelry off of your victims, you're usually going to keep it. Right, souvenirs and whatnot. It's usually like a trophy Mm -hmm. type of thing to gift or whatever that person, that serial killer does with their trophies. Now, Vince Katich is convinced that there were more victims and finds there is a compelling case that Barbara Weston may be one of them. I feel like Barbara's the most likely to be one of them at this point. David was interviewed many times in prison in effort to gain more information, and at one point, he even agreed to speak about possible other victims in return for conjugal visits with Catherine. But this was not granted. Why? So, despite suggestions that these cases may be related to the Bernie's activities, police have enough evidence to keep them both in prison. Extra evidence wasn't really needed to ensure that they each receive life imprisonment. So, in other words, they're in prison regardless So, still, I would want to know. Now, in case you guys haven't learned this from our other cases, in Australia, when your sentence is handed down, you are also given a non-parole period. So, for instance, Catherine was sentenced to four life imprisonments with a non-parole period of 20 years. In 2007, Catherine Burney had completed her 20-year non-parole period, and there was now mandatory reviews of her case every three years. Her first review concluded with parole not being granted. Oh my God, if this woman ever gets out, I'm going to lose my shit. In 2010, Prisoners Review Board met again and considered rather to recommend Catherine for parole. The suggestion was rejected by the Attorney General, so the Queen's representative in Australia, and each Attorney General that has been in position since 2007 has said that Catherine will not be granted parole during their tenure, which is great. Catherine said that she knows that no politician would ever agree to let her out because it would end their political career. I totally agree. There would be public outcry if Catherine was released. David and Catherine committed crimes of opportunity. They took advantage of how innocent the community was and how trusting they were of each other. Kate continues to campaign for removal of their mandatory reviews for life sentences in Western Australia. Every three years since 2007, Kate has had to relive her capture. Kate says, I believe you revoke your right to return to society upon breaking its rules so badly. If you've taken away a life, you get life in prison. Prison should be a punishment. It shouldn't all be about rehabilitation. It's not justice when your rapist attempted murderers who murdered four women get 20 years in jail 
you're 17 years old and you go, oh, great, at 37, they're up for parole and I have to write victim impact statements. They have ruined my life. That would so ruin your life. Basically, it's like you have to relive your crime or you don't say anything with them going back to prison. You either say nothing and then maybe they'll get released or you say something and have to relive it yourself. Right, it's that fear of them getting released that would keep you coming back. Oh, and then three years after that, every three years. Yep, every three years, yeah. So these days, in 2021, so these days Catherine is a cooperative inmate for the most part, but is said to be quiet and cunning. She is described as a harmless prison librarian. She even starred as a nun in the prison's musical called Nonsense. Seriously, I can't handle it. But she has never openly given any remorse for the harm that she caused. Because she isn't remorseful at all. She's not. She spat on fucking Nolene's grave. Right, after she was caught. Yeah. Yeah. Fun little side story. She tells a story of calling the guards when she noticed sounds coming from the cell next to her to alert them that someone was attempting to commit suicide. When asked about her quick thinking, she replied, only someone who has strangled someone and is familiar with that sound of gurgling knows what it is, and I could recognize and call for help. Like, are you fucking kidding me? What Catherine, the fuck? I we hate you, Catherine. Yeah, you want to know what my quick thinking was? Yeah, I've strangled someone before, so like, and actually, you're too fucking weak, Catherine. You did not fucking strangle someone. I know. You tried. You tried to strangle a 15-year-old, couldn't get away with it, and then had to have your boyfriend help you. Yeah, I can't. Pathetic. Another thing that Detective Sergeant Paul Ferguson said was, Catherine Burney was the puppeteer. David Burney was the puppet. She got her enjoyment out of seeing what she could get David Burney to do. Make no bones about it. Catherine Burney orchestrated and controlled that situation. How this all started, she was the one that gave the tick of approval. She was the one that when they saw a prospective victim, she had a saying, I've got the munchies. And that meant you can have this one, David, if you want. Gross. You're in a car by yourselves. Why do you need a code word for anything? To me, that bothers me so much more than her just saying, Let's kidnap that one or let's kill that one. So gross. Yeah. Yeah, no. I don't like that. I've got the munchies. No. Mm -mm. Now, Tanya, David's daughter, is still feeling the effects of what her father and Catherine have done. Oh, God. I can't even imagine moving. I'm moving across the motherfucking country. 100%. Tanya said about Catherine... She helped sentence four women to death, Tanya said. She gave Kate Moore a life sentence. She gave the four women who died. She gave their parents and friends life sentences. She gave her five children a life sentence, and she gave me and my mother a life sentence. None of us get parole. Why should she? You know, that is a great point. That Mm -hmm. is a great fucking point because, like, they ruined the lives of every person they touched. Can you imagine being one of Catherine's five children that she abandoned? Abandoned, which that caused a lot of trouble. Then you find out your mother's a serial killer. That causes even more damage. Then you have to worry about what other people are thinking about you because they find out that you're related to someone who can commit heinous crimes like that. I hope she was able to pull her life together. 
Tanya was only 10 years old in 1986 when her father was captured, and she says she questioned her judgment at times as she finds it difficult to reconcile the loving, caring father she knew to the man he was. She said he was a very caring father to me, but clearly that was a mask he was putting on. We've talked about that before, how hard it would be to connect the murderer that your father is with the loving father that you knew. Yeah, because psychopaths can really just, they can very distinctively turn off and on their delusions like that. Like they will be, they can have a normal life. They can have a family. They can be that perfect person that society wants them to be and still continue their delusions on the side. Yeah. She hasn't ever married or had children. And she says, I don't want to spawn another David Bernie. If I have kids, I don't want to pass on those genes. Nature versus nurture. You can be a psychopath and not be a murderer. Ugh. Now, the house that these crimes occurred in has recently been renovated and sold for just under half a million dollars. And it's still in a working class suburb. So my question is, who out there would want to live in this murder house? Um, I did see a picture of the bedroom and the bedroom was like set up for like, it was like definitely the photo they took for like selling the house and I was like (laughs) the things that happened there I can't even imagine yeah so that is the story of the Morehouse murders crazy 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 that one's pretty crazy yeah and thank you Sharna Lampert for helping with research on this case yeah we very much appreciate it we love it you're Um, amazing Sorry to our Australian listeners for what we uh, mispronounced. mispronounced. We're um, so sorry. Feel free to correct us. I would actually honestly love that. Just don't be a dick about it. That's all we ask. I don't know how to pronounce it. I have no clue. But know that we do try. We really do. We try to get it right. It just doesn't always work out. Yeah. So if you haven't checked out our Patreon lately, go check that out. Yeah. We are... So close to hitting 100 Patreons, and we're so excited to send out our new fun stuff for that. And we also have new Patreons. So we have Jarrett Dayhoff. Hi, Jarrett. Welcome to and Patreon. Melody, what is, how many, how many? Piling. I just see a bunch of lines. Mm-hmm. I can't distinguish what's an I and what's an L. <laughs> okay, Melody, what is it? Pingling? Piling. Piling? Piling? Piling. I don't know. Hi, Melody. Welcome to Patreon. We also have DJ. Hi, DJ. Welcome to Patreon. And Deborah Wales. Hi, Deborah. Welcome to Patreon. Again, we so, so appreciate everybody who joins our Patreon. Thank you so much. If you haven't checked us out on social media, go and check us out. We're at Lost in the Woods Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Yeah, um, and we just recently did some more map scratching, so you can go check that out. We have yep. new listeners from new places, which we love. So welcome if you're from, I don't even know what countries we crossed off. A but bunch, yeah. <laughs> just thank you for listening, and we finally got all of Australia. Yeah. And we have almost all of Canada as well now. Yeah, there's like one little section that's holding out. So if you're in Canada, um, tell your friends to listen. Thank you. Especially if they live in a really remote part of Canada. That would also (laughs) be great because that's what we're missing. Yeah. So thank you so much, you guys. If you go to our Instagram, we have a link on there for all of our social medias, for our Patreon. 
for our merch, for everything. Yeah. So go and check that out. And we will see you guys next week. Or unless you go join Patreon right now and then you can go listen to us talk again. Yeah, you can listen to us talk about a whole bunch of stuff. (laughs) All right. Thanks, guys. Swallow. I don't it's even so fucking loud. loud. You do. I don't even think I swallow. You swallow loud. so loud. It's like the loudest thing I've ever heard in my life. Like I literally don't even know how no, to handle it. You know it. the loudest thing in the world is shed clearing his throat <laughs> or blowing his nose. So now we're in 1990 or I would, 19. I would say wait, by 19. we're in 1966. Yeah. Okay. They were born in the 50s. I didn't. Calculate it, okay. I wasn't thinking. I didn't even think. I didn't jump even in hear. your time machine with me and let's go back in time, Maddie. I literally didn't even hear it. Okay. I feel like most of the cases we do happen in like the nineties. <laughs> Are you? Is the shock gone? Can we continue now? Yeah. Okay. Are now I understand good? that we're in the sixties. Okay. I get it now. Good. <laughs> Let it go. Keep going. So David hoped of becoming an apprentice. Too. Why does it matter? <laughs> because when you say David hoped of becoming an apprentice, that that's not proper English. Fuck. Okay, so as are all of our listeners are English scholars, and they're gonna know that every sentence is it. Okay, they might proper not, English. They might not know exactly that it's not proper English, but they will know it doesn't sound right. I wouldn't know if it didn't sound right. Well, you're a special case. <laughs> okay, come on. So much editing. <laughs> you want to have an argument about it right now? No. So Eric found him accommodation? Found him an accommodation at a local boarding house? Uh, you don't need the N on that one, but you can put it in there if you want to. Found Eric found him accommodation. Yeah. What's wrong with that? That sounds wrong. Why does it sound wrong? Eric found him accommodation at local boarding school. At a local boarding school. <laughs> yeah, but then you might as well not put You're the just, fucking A there either. You have to have the A there because it's a local boarding school, not local boarding school. But found accommodation at a local boarding school? Yeah, that that is proper, I promise. I don't I I think it's so funny that now you're like trying to add in. No, now I'm just confused. That doesn't Okay. So Eric found him an accommodation at a local boarding school. Nope. What the fuck did I say wrong this? Boarding house. It's a boarding house, not a boarding school. (laughs) I was like, where the fuck did I fuck up this time? I was like, what did I do wrong? I mean, like, the third sentence I've read in this entire fucking episode. I know. It's painful. <laughs> it's so painful, Madison. Okay, I already hate myself. I'm ready. Like, we're 25 minutes in and we're, like, one paragraph down. No, we're fine. What are you looking at? David's nose. I told you. The, the thing's huge. Dude, I fucking told you. What the fuck you. is that? 
I have nose. literally that is a witch nose. That is I the witchiest you. nose. I have never even seen a person in real life that Why did has. you give me such a hard time when I Because in that picture nose. it didn't look like that. Look at this picture. I know. I've seen him. No, wait. No, wait. This one. Yeah. How much more pages of this? Do you really want to know? Yeah. We're only there. Oh my god. We're it's not a even long close. one. It's a long one. Oh my god, it's 23 pages long. But we could finish We're this. On page eight of twenty-three. We, listen, we can finish this section and then take a break. You could eat, go get Red Bulls or something. Does that sound good? Are you okay? <laughs> just. <laughs> I. She always wants to see how much further we have, and it never goes well. I don't know how you ever, yeah, I ever want to. Know. No. no, I don't even want to know. And I've read this thing before. How much longer I was gonna have to sit here for? Well, now you know. Are you happy? No, <laughs> I'm not happy. No. Oh my god, it's eight thousand words. It'll probably end up being a two-parter. Yeah, it's eight thousand. I gotta get flea stuff. Yeah, I have like three flea bites. I combed. Both Why cats yesterday. do the fleas like me? I don't know. Like, am I just a cat or fucking what? It's because you have hairy legs. <laughs> <laughs> I do not have hairy legs, which is why I don't have fleas living on me. I don't have free fleas living on me. That you makes me sound dirty <laughs> when you say I have fleas. Our Ugh. cats have fleas. They sleep in my bed. And then fleas really like me, so I get flea bites when they have fleas. Yeah. When David got home, he spoke to Kathleen. Oh, shit. Catherine. Have I been saying Kathleen or Catherine? We've been saying Catherine. Okay. So Kathleen, Catherine. God, I hope I've been saying Catherine. You have been. Okay. Kathleen probably does the talking because that. Why does it say Catherine there? Catherine? It is Catherine. You've been saying Catherine this whole time. I have? Time. Okay. Why did I just I... say Kathleen? I don't know why you keep saying Catherine. I don't know. Kath I've never seen. Catherine. It doesn't say anywhere. Catherine. Kath Catherine. What? But I've been saying Catherine the whole time, right? Yes. That's right. Okay. Except for every four paragraphs where I, you decide to say Kathleen. <laughs> Throw myself off. Catherine. Kath Whoa, you got me doing it. Catherine. 